Good morning, family. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the servant leaders here at Kettlebrook and uh, so excited to gather together as family with you this morning. We are in a series entitled Weep With Me, The Lost Language of Lament. And um, we're going to continue in this series. And uh, the subject that we're going to talk about this morning is lamenting in our parenting. And whether you're a, a parent of children still in your home, whether you're a parent of adult children, whether you're not a parent, I think you'll be able to relate with much of what we talked to this morning. But to start it on a little bit lighter note, I wanted to show you a commercial that I saw and just laughed at. So I'm going to... Home business one-on-one? With you, the Greek freak. The all-star captain? No way. You know your stuff, huh? Yeah, I switched to Metro. With their coast-to-coast coverage, I never miss a game. Smart. Hey, how about some horse? Okay. I'll let you go first. <laughs> I'll just take an H. That's also smart. Do on business one-on-one? The best part of that whole commercial is when he does the, right? <laughs> Isn't it true, though? Like, when we talk about the subject of parenting, I'll have you put the lights up if you could, please, two in from what's up. Uh, when we talk about the subject of parenting, uh, it's almost as if parenting is Giannis and we're the little dude, right, doing this. Because in the role of parenting, there's no greater role in life where we get to pour into another one. And we get to pour in our gifts and our talents and the things that God has given us. But on the same respect, there's no greater role in life where our brokenness and our weakness is is on display for our kids to see. To the point that we might feel like in parenting sometimes, if we're honest, I'll just take an H. I'll just take an age. I know I feel like that at some points, right? Whether we're parents, again, of kids who are in our home still, uh, parents of adult children, uh, whether we're soon-to-be parents, or whether we're not parents at all, life and parenting can make us feel like, I'll just take an age. Because we know that we're not perfect. And sometimes we, if we're healthy, we lament that. We lament what we bring into our parenting that we said, I was going to be different from my parents who was just trying the best they could, etc. And we're like, man, and yet I'm not. And so I just feel like I'm going to take an H. Before I start this whole message on lamenting and parenting, I, I want you to know that as we're talking about this whole series of lament, we're not talking about it just so that we can feel bad about ourselves, right? We're not talking about it just to be sad for sad sake. We're talking about it because we feel like if we can, in a healthy way, lean into lamenting, we can actually become more like Jesus. We can actually become, in our character, more like the character of our leader, Jesus Christ. So this morning we're going to talk about lamenting and parenting, and to do that we're going to turn to Proverbs chapter 3. So go ahead and turn either in your app, the Bible app, version. If you find us at the Jackson Kettlebrook site, you'll have Proverbs chapter 3. Otherwise, go ahead and turn there in the Bibles under your chair, 424 or 423. Actually, 440. 442? I was close, right? 442 or Proverbs chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 1 through 12. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart 
and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. And again, we're not in the book of Lamentations for this as we talk about lamenting as parenting, but the context of Proverbs is it's a book of general wisdom, general truths. They're not promises, but they're precepts. They're general truths that if we order our lives around them as followers of God, life will experientially be better for us. But I want you to notice here the instructions that the father is giving his son. He gives him like four commands that he wants him to remember and apply to his life. Look at verse 5. Trust in the, who does it say next? The Lord. Okay, verse 7. Don't be wise in your own eyes, but fear or respect the, verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth. Verse 11, don't despise the Lord's discipline. And so in each of these four commands, the subject remains the same. It's, it's God. It's the Lord. And if you were to look at the life of the Jewish people, the Israelites, and you were to you know, kind of bring it into the context of Lamentations, the book we've been studying for this series, their whole life was to be centered, was to be oriented around God. And this is something they chose. No one forced them to do this. They chose. They wanted to do this because of what he had done for them. But everything about their lives was to be centered around him. Again, because he had rescued them. They were slaves in Egypt. He had rescued them and, and freed them. But they also knew that pragmatically, life experientially, maybe it wouldn't be easier, but it would be better as they sought to orient and center their life around God. And yet it is interesting, if, if you were to read other parts of the scriptures in the story of the Jewish people, we see that over centuries and over many years god went from someone who they were able to they they got to they were blessed to be able to follow to someone that they had to he went from a we get to to a we have to and so god became a we have to rather than someone to be trusted rather than someone to be feared to honored to to not be despised. He, he became a giant to do for them in some sense. And over the course of generations, other things and other gods in the other nations became a bigger deal to them than the one true God who had rescued them. To the point where <laughs> you go on in the history of them and, and the fathers didn't even heed the advice of this father. And that's what led their whole families and their whole community, the whole Israelite nation, to end up where they ended up in the situation they ended up in. And something that, you know, I lament in my own life, and I think I can lament in society as a whole, is, man, I get super excited about sports teams. I won't name which one, because you'll tell me to leave right now, but I get super excited about sports teams. I get super excited about vacations. I get it. Vacations, we work hard. We, we want to be rested. We want to be refreshed, right? 
We can make a big deal of sunshine and warm weather because today lifts our spirit literally, right? I can, we can make a big deal about all of these things, but how big of a deal is God? For me. For us. In our own life. And if we're parents, how big of a deal is he in our parenting? Because to the degree that he's a big deal for us is the degree that he's going to be a big deal for our kids. Not absolutely, but specifically when they're young, the likelihood is greater, right? My, my wife is taking a course that some of you are taking right now that's being offered at the Kettlebrook Community Center in West Bend called Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. Um, it's a kind of a college-level course that uh, describes both God's heart for the nations and then the history of what has happened amongst the nations for the good news of Jesus to to go to them, okay? And during that, she learned about this small band of people, 24 people at least, uh, who started this, the Moravians, in the 1700s. And uh, when she told me this, it kind of blew my mind. There was 24 men and women total who started a 24-hour prayer. I don't know what you want to call it, circle, uh, uh, event, I don't know what you call it, but they prayed 24 hours straight. You know that the people were doing rock, paper, scissors not to get 3 a.m., right? But they got 24 hours of prayer, 24 people it started with. Guess how long they did that for? You can't answer if you're in perspectives, okay? That's, you can't answer. Guess how long they did that for? A hundred years. Yeah, think about that. When I heard that, I was like, I struggle with something I'm worrying about to turn it over to God in prayer. And here you have these people who... 24 people they started with prayed around the clock, 24 hours, for 100 years. And some were added to it, I think. But they started with this small band of people. A lot of people were added to it, Nate said. Okay. But they started with this small band of people, and they sent out 300 people to different parts of the world to show and tell the good news of Jesus. And, man, I look at that, and I was like, that's making God a pretty big deal. That's like reorienting your whole life to have that happen. See, the Israelites, they had been rescued from physical slavery. And family, the scriptures say that if we've placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we've been rescued from spiritual slavery. Where the scriptures would say we deserve death and separation from God through faith in Christ, we get the opposite. We get life and friendship with him. When we really sit and think about it, when I sit and think about it, that's why it's important for me to remember who God is and what he's done. That's a huge deal. That's amazing. That's like really good news. As far as the east is from the west, my sins don't count against me anymore. That's amazing, right? That's a big deal. And yet, do I parent like it? Do I parent like that? That God's like that big of a deal, like that good? Or do other things capture my And do other things capture our hearts? Maybe we need to lament and confess to God and or to our kids that Jesus maybe isn't that big a deal to us. You know, and just so you know, too, I I know we're all at different parts in our journey. I mean, I didn't grow up having Jesus be a big deal to me. Not that my mom was bad or wrong. She just didn't know how to do that and wasn't equipped to do that, right? So no matter where you find yourself at, we can start anew. That's what I had to do. I had to just experiment and throw the spaghetti noodle, so to speak, on the wall and see if it stuck. And take it off and try other things if it didn't, right? We're all learning. But maybe some of us need to lament that 
Jesus isn't that big a deal in our parenting because he's not that big a deal to us. Notice, too, if you go, if you go, look at verse 1 again. Verse 1, my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. Let love and faithfulness, verse 3, never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And I was like, wow, I think they want us something to do with our faith and our following of God to affect our heart. And this isn't the only part of scripture that would say that, right? And when you're in this context, they're not talking about an organ per se. They're, they're talking about following God being a big enough deal to where it doesn't just affect our intellect. It needs to affect our intellect, our cognitive realm, but that it goes deeper than that. And that it affects the deepest part of who we are, the truest part of who we are, all of us, our heart. That's what they're talking about when they're talking about heart in the scriptures. It's not solely an intellectual exercise in following God, although it involves the intellect, but it goes beyond that, too. It affects our, our whole being. And, and something that I've been realizing for a while, but specifically lately, is that I need to grow in my ability to feel. We were talking about this. We, we try and talk intentionally about God and different things at the dinner table and different things. And so we were talking about this series about lament, right? And we're talking about all these different things. And Mike uh, last week did a really good job and he wrote this like graph like this that life is like this he said but what society and even followers of jesus we tend to want to do is kind of erase the lows we just erase them you know we don't want to experience them and so i knew the answer to this question i just wanted my kids to be able to verbalize it so at the dinner table i said how well do you think dad does at being sad and like there maybe was a nanosecond that passed maybe a nanosecond right and they're like bad bad this was not new information to me i knew it i just wanted to give them the opportunity to verbalize it because i know this is something that i need to lean into and oh they also said you're good at being angry i knew this too this was not new information but they said bad you're good at being angry and i wanted to hear this why because I need to lean into this if I'm going to become more like Jesus in my parenting so that I can point them to him. And there's parts of me that lament. I mean, again, I teach my kids very intentionally about God. We've read the scriptures with them since they were little. I pray with them when I put them down to bed. We talk about God a decent amount. But something I lament is that probably for far too long, uh, how I've taught a view of God has been more cognitive than a motive. And not that that part's not needed. It is. But you need both. You need both. I mean, look at Jesus. He seemingly displayed a full range of human emotion, didn't he? Before he was crucified, it seemed like he was lamenting. It seemed like he was saying, God, if there's any other way, I'll take it, but not my will. Yours be done. He got angry. He turned over tables for the religious leaders of the day who were kind of abusing faith and using it for their own gain. He wept at the passing of his friend, Lazarus. And family, I, I just more convinced than ever, we can't solely love Jesus in a cognitive way. 
We can't solely follow Jesus in a cognitive way. It has to involve our minds, but it also has to go beyond to involve our emotions. And I need to lament not showing my kids a fuller range of emotions and following Jesus so that one day they might be able to follow Jesus with a fuller range of emotions. Because the reality is, is as a follower of Jesus, it's not all a bed of roses. If you ever hear us say following Jesus is the easy path, we're, it don't. We don't. It's not. It's better. I'll say that all day long. It's not easier. Life's hard. Cancer comes to those who follow Jesus and who don't follow Jesus. Heartache in relationship comes to those who follow Jesus, those who don't follow Jesus. Brokenness growing up comes to those who follow Jesus, don't follow Jesus. Job loss, the list could keep going on, right? Life is not easy. Life's really hard at sometimes. And as followers of Jesus, we get to give ourselves the freedom to not always have to be okay. Why? Because it's not true. It's not reality. In life, there's sometimes where we're not okay, where it's okay to lean into lament, to sadness, to heartache. Why? That's life. In a world that's not fully as it one way will be for those who follow Jesus. So maybe we need to lament that following Jesus has been maybe mostly a cognitive exercise rather than a cognitive and an emotive exercise. I'm going to keep telling you how I stink as a parent today. So look at verse 11 with me again. Uh, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he, verse 11, those he loves. As a father, the son, he delights in. See, this dad is telling his son that God's discipline is actually an act of love for those he delights in. Let me say that again. His discipline is, God's discipline is actually an act of love for those he delights in. How many of you would naturally associate discipline with love by someone who delights in you? Not me, either, right? I see some of you shaking your head. Others I'm going to ask to wake up. No. We wouldn't associate, right? Discipline with love by someone that God delights in. We, We just wouldn't see it that way and here's why i think mike made a statement last week that was that was i thought was so good that i wanted to come back he was talking about lamentations i think chapter two and he said god's discipline isn't punitive but purposeful he said god's discipline isn't punitive but purposeful and what he what i think he meant by that was that god's discipline of the israelites of and because of their sin i mean it was it was hard Right, But it wasn't as if God delighted in doing that and in punishing his kids. He had a purpose behind that terribly painful experience of having for a year people conquer you, take you off to a foreign land with foreign gods and foreign customs and foreign rules and living in that, seeing your children suffer, seeing you suffer to the point where there's no food to have. I mean, it it was a bad situation. There was a purpose behind it. And if you, we were to read the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, and we were to see how the Israelites, how the Jewish people came back to God and began once again to live out what they had promised to do, to love him with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their mind, to see their hearts turned towards desiring him to keep his commands and to bless others, 
like we would ha- see some of the purpose in what God had done. It was actually in a love for the people who, regardless of their actions, he delighted in. And it made me think, I wonder if our discipline as parents is purposeful or if it's mostly or solely punitive. Right? And, and don't mishear me. We need to discipline our kids. And I'm not talking about paddles and spanking. Like, don't, you know, I'm talking about teaching, correcting, training. We need to discipline our kids. We need to give consequences. The worst thing we can do is not give any consequences, not discipline at all, because what's going to happen when they're outside our house? Life will probably just happen for them the same way, right? No. I mean, in life, you don't, that's not how it works. We need to give consequences. We need to give limits, loving limits. We need to discipline and teach and train, which is what discipline means, our kids, because that's what's going to happen in life. Someday they're going to have bosses and teachers and others who aren't going to care that it went one way in their family. I mean, they're the boss. They're the teacher. They're the whatever, right? So we need to discipline our kids. But what I'm saying is, as followers of Jesus, our discipline has to go a step further than maybe others. It can't simply be punitive. It needs to be purposeful. There has to be a reason behind it. And I have to lament that too many times my discipline has been punitive but not purposeful. And here's what I mean by that. I think in my mind something will happen. You know, an expectation isn't meet. And I have great kids, but my kids aren't perfect just like yours aren't. Uh, expectation isn't meant, something happens. And I think in my mind sometimes, if I give a good enough consequence or punishment, it's going to change their what? Yeah, you guys all know because you're like, oh, yeah, I struggle with this too, right? It's going to change their behavior. What's the word I just focused on in that last part that you filled in? Behavior, right? And it works in the moment. It works. Right? If the consequence is high enough, someone's going to choose, well, I don't want that, so I'll stop this. I'll not do that. I will do that in the moment. It works in the moment. Short term, it works to change the behavior. But consequences alone aren't necessarily purposeful. They can control behavior, but they can't change a what? A heart. They can control behavior, but they can't change a heart. And I think too often... I have focused on behavior modification rather than heart modification to be more like Jesus. And how do you tell the difference? Well, is the consequence the beginning or the end of your discipline? Is the consequence the beginning or the end of your discipline? When it's the end of my discipline, I think I'm punishing or doing discipline punitively. When it's the beginning, then, yeah, I still need consequences, right, as a parent. But it's the beginning of the process, How often do we go and afterwards, when the heat of the moment is done, when the the emotions are kind of in check, how often do we go back and dialogue and process with our kids? Talk to them. Ask them what they were feeling in the moment. Ask them to feel and deal, so to speak. How often do we not only communicate our expectations, but when our kids don't meet those expectations and we give consequences, how often do we seek to hear their hearts? What they were believing, and through our words and actions, then point them back to God. And this is learned, I've found, for me at least. I've grown in this. I I didn't always know how to do that. But discipline that's purposeful, a consequence isn't the beginning, but it isn't, let me state that again because I got mixed up. In discipline that's purposeful, a consequence is the beginning, not the end. It's an opportunity to point our kids back to Jesus, to tell them how much we love them, to tell them how much he loves them, and to set expectations again 
in light of that, for them to live out who they are, their identity as sons and daughters of the king. Sons and daughters of the king. In our parenting, we need to make a big deal of God and lament when we don't. In our parenting, we need to um, follow Jesus not just with our minds, but in our hearts too, and, and lament for when we don't. In our parenting, we need our discipline not just to be punitive, but purposeful as a teaching and training tool to point our kids back to Jesus. And think about this too. In our parenting, we need to lament lost opportunities. Think about the context of lamentations. Kids were, were suffering greatly for choices not necessarily that they made, but choices that their parents had made. They're suffering and suffering greatly. And see, whether we're parents of kids who are still in our home, whether we're parents of kids who are grown and outside of our home, whether we're soon-to-be parents, I mean, what, what I've found to happen is as I've aged, I'm only 41, about 42, but as I've aged, I reflect more than I used to. People have told me it'll happen, and it does. Right? You just begin to reflect more. You begin to think more about what's happened and how you want that to be different moving forward. And we begin to think, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I would have done this. I wish this part of my story, this part of my brokenness, wouldn't have been brought into my parenting. I wish this part where I'm weak wouldn't have been brought in. Because even in kids who, who love Jesus and are seeking to follow him, we're, we're doing our best with, we, we see the ways that our brokenness is paid forward, right? All of us do, myself included. And each of us could sit down with another person that we trusted and we could share our story. And no matter how good our, our, our uh, growing up was, we could share brokenness. We could share hurts. And as parents, I think we could share things if our kids are at least of a certain age that we wish we would have done differently. We wish we could have a do-over, so to speak, for. We would want that back, especially probably if our kids are outside the home. Were you to take time to reflect, where would you want to do over as a parent? Where would you lament a lost opportunity? Where would you want things to be different than they currently are? I have a friend outside of Kettlebrook. Um, when Troy was reviewing my message, he's like, make sure you say that so people don't think you're talking about them. For the record, I'll never talk about you without your permission. Okay, and I'll do it anonymously. But anyways, I have a friend outside of Kettlebrook legitimately, and um, he has been through a divorce. It's a divorce he didn't want, um, but he couldn't do anything to stop it. And so the situation now is that uh, their children are with him one week and then with his wife, or excuse me, his ex-wife one week. It's a situation like that. His ex-wife has a powerful job uh, high up in a company that's a pretty demanding role, and because of that, she has to travel quite a bit. And because of that, sometimes it's a choice between the kids and her job. And unfortunately, when that choice has to be made, the job wins. So what ends up happening is the kids are hurt, the kids are confused, they don't know why mom is choosing the job and the career over them. Now, were you to fast forward 20 to 30 years when her career is over, I would bet 
she's going to look back and lament that choice. Parents, what do we lament? What of anything I've said or something that I haven't said but the Spirit has said to you, where do we find ourselves currently this morning? Or just as followers of Jesus, what do we lament? What do we need God to help us change now so that in 10 years, in 20 years, we won't have to look back and say, I wish I would have. I wish I'd have that. I'd wish this or that. Maybe we'd lament not making God a big enough deal in our homes. Maybe we'd lament following God more in a cognitive way, but not in a motive way also. Maybe we'd lament our discipline being primarily punitive, not purposeful. Maybe we'd lament something else. You join me in prayer. Father, thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you that, uh, man, 1 John 3, 1 is true. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we might be called children of God. Indeed, that is what we are. With all our hang-ups, in all our brokenness, in all our weakness, Father, in the ways we can appropriately lament that we are not like your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that our acceptance by you Thank you that our friendship with you, thank you that our status as your sons and daughters is not predicated on our performance, but his perfect performance. May that confidence give us the courage to lament well so that we might become more like your son, Jesus. Continue to speak to our hearts in Jesus' name we pray.